Hello and welcome to Data Driven. In this episode Frank and Andy welcome back Dave Wenzel to the show to talk about the importance of design thinking to data and software projects. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging fields of data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. If you like to think of data as the new oil, then you can think of us slow, like Car Talk, because we focus on where the rubber meets the virtual road. And with me on this uh, road trip down the information superhighway, as always, is Andy Leonard. How's it going, Andy? Good, Frank. How are you? I am doing great. I am doing great. This is... Um, Depending on how it lays out, this will be episode 13 or 14 of season five. Wow. And uh, we've, we've done a lot of historic firsts in season five, mm-hmm. uh, including having the same guest back on a proper show. Um, so today we're talking once again with Dave Wenzel, who is the data and AI architect at the Philadelphia MTC. And uh, welcome back, Dave. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. No problem, no problem. We really enjoyed kind of your last conversation, and in your, you gave us some feedback we were not expecting, good feedback, that you really liked the last couple of shows where we focused on project management and metrics and data around project management. So what, 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 what uh, motivated you to reach out? So um, you're exactly right. I, I really enjoyed the last few episodes. I find a I've worked for a lot of large organizations. I worked for one, we had 700 developers and I ran the data analytics team. And so understanding project management and how to avoid uh, project disaster, especially around or failure, especially around data projects, I think is critical. So I put a lot of just anecdotal research and looking at the numbers. And the last two guests you had, Alex Murray and Alex Castro, I agreed with almost everything they both said. And I think uh, project management, uh, and just risk management, uh, to expand that a little bit, are topics that um, pretty much any data professional should be interested in. Uh, so I think we talked on the last episode about just, you know, problems with data projects involving the data. Uh, so, right. you know, we spend a lot of time on requirements gathering, you know, possibly we don't necessarily need star schemas and data warehouses. I know that's controversial. And then, you know, avoid some of the ETL. But really, uh, kind of the bigger thing is that whole requirements gathering, and it's really larger than that. The issue really goes around how how can you do project management differently in a data project than maybe in a traditional software uh, development environment, if that makes sense. Oh, that makes perfect mm-hmm. sense. I was going to ask, do you think that you would you manage, this is just a question, would you manage a big data project, aka data lake, delta lake, whatever you want to call it, differently than you would a traditional kind of star schema data warehouse type project? No, I would manage any data analytics project and possibly any data project in general, uh, but transactional might be a little bit different, but any analytics data project, I would manage the exact same way. Um, so it makes no difference whether you're doing things in a data lake or a data warehouse, or you're you know just using an ODS and you're trying to write some reports, or you're doing just something data sciencey. You know, I'm trying to predict something out in the future. Uh, it should all be managed the same way, in my opinion. Interesting. And would you obviously? It sounds like you said predict. You would you would lump AI into that as well. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. Anything machine learning, AI, data science, I would lump that all together. Yep. Okay. So, Dave, I, 
I think that's a very interesting statement that you just made. Can you give us kind of the high level flow of how you would manage that project? Yeah, so I'm not a big fan of Agile and Scrum for data projects. Um, Kanban's a little bit better, but really the way I kind of do it is something uh, called design thinking. So probably people have been exposed to design thinking at one point or another, and I just want to make some clarifications up front. Sometimes design thinking is thought of as a particular practitioner's version. So there's a mm -hmm. company called Luma, and they have, they'll have they teach you classes on design thinking. You can get books on design thinking. The problem with a lot of them is they focus on the mechanics of how to do a design thinking session. So they're very big into games. And I love mm -hmm. playing games. I have no issue with playing games in these sessions, but it ends up being the focus of the session is understanding the game, right? And we need to play the game versus what we should be doing is figuring out what the business use case is. Uh, so the, the focus kind of changes a little bit. Um, but anyway, for those of you that may not know what design thinking is, uh, sometimes it's called human-centric design thinking or empathetic design. And basically what it is is we focus on uh, users, um, you know, ideas, building prototypes, failing fast, uh, trying out solutions and learning. Um, so it's probably, you're probably thinking, well, I do all of that already. Um, but I find, you know, although people say that, that's rarely the case. So I'll give you an example. I pitch these design thinking sessions all the time at the MTC with customers. And they'll say, okay, well, you know, we can bring our IT and our business units together and we can talk through problems. But we're IT people and we already know the business unit problems, so we don't need to bring them. Okay, well, you just failed the <laughs> test right there, right? And how many times have we all sat in a project and done that? Oh, we know what the issue is. I never, you know, I never say, ah, uh, you know, you really don't know as much as you think you know. We just, we'll, we'll set a, a two-hour uh, engagement, and then I'll get on the phone with them. We'll start talking through a problem, and, and I'll quickly point out, you know, or I'll let them understand that they know less than they think they do. And mm -hmm. business people are no different. They'll say, oh, we've already told ID, IT 15 times, you know, what we need, what this business requirement is we've documented in a requirements document why are we going through this and then we quickly find out within 10 or 15 minutes that it's maybe not as easy as they thought it was as far as the business problem and then if you get two business units in the same room arguing about something that becomes even more fascinating uh, so the <laughs> aspect of design thinking is we're trying to figure out you know what is the real requirement given you know there's a lot of people's different input that that's required for these things and I, I've been in these these ones because I remember um, they were looking to certify more people because in order to lead one of these design thinking sessions at the MTC, you have to go through uh, the official training to deliver them. And I've been through a few of them, and they're, they they are not the way they didn't go the way I thought they would because it just it's just the way how it works. Where you, where I think you know, like you said, empathetic uh, design, where you, you kind of just let them talk out what the real problem is and kind of suss it out because. I think it's it's a well-known fact that IT and business don't speak the same language. I mean, sometimes when they do, I mean, it's not impossible, but it's highly improbable. And and like you said, I I I've been in cases where, and that's why I laughed, where the two business groups were trying to. They thought it was the same project, and it did shared a common foundation, but it wasn't really the same project. Yes, yeah, so at the MTC, we do, and we do this for customers all the time, we'll do like day and a half design thinking sessions. And it's, it's um, honestly, that's a lot. Uh, and, and they're not once and done things in the real world. So 
I come in and I show customers how to do these. So I've had numerous customers say, hey, we just want to watch you do this and learn. Um, and I know that sounds possibly narcissistic, but um, it happens a lot. What we find out is that customers go back and they try and reproduce that for like sprint planning. And that's kind of the wrong way because a day and a half is way too much. Uh, and a lot of this stuff is introductory and we don't need to do that every time. And we spend a lot of time dealing with the empathetic aspect, which is understanding your users and, and personas. And we don't need to do that every time so we can shorten it down. So what I like to do is for every engagement where I'm doing something with data that's over and above, you know, writing an ADF pipeline or, or you know, talking about Databricks, I like to have, you know, especially when we have business people in the room, do like a mini design thinking session just for an hour or two, where we just try and talk through things. And a lot of times, I'll be honest with you, they're they're very painful, uh, especially virtually, because again, groups don't want to. They think they know this stuff, and they think they know the other users' perspective. So IT knows business, business knows IT, but that's rarely the case. So uh, they're painful, and then all of a sudden, you'll have the breakthrough where people start talking. Um, you know, and, and then that's where the really interesting conversations come up. Um, is that why you chose the pickle Rick t-shirt <laughs> knowing the origin story of pickle Rick now, <laughs> now that you say that, cause I, I, I want to double click on two things you said. One, um, I have attended some of your sessions and they are fantastic. So I don't, it's not bragging if it's true, right? It's not narcissism if it's true. So I will say that I will put that in your corner that you do an awesome job at that. Two, Pickle Rick was this elaborate plot device from the Rick and Morty TV show where he turned himself into a pickle to avoid going to family therapy. And the parallels of, of some of these design sessions, you, you can't help but think about it. It's kind of like therapy, isn't it? It is. Yep. Um, because you're never sure where the output is going to take you. So these are especially, these design thinking uh, sessions are very good for data science projects where the outcome, but really it's any data project, if you think about it, where the outcome is not known upfront, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm designing a website, you know, I don't mean to be reductive to the average website developer, but I probably know about how long it takes to do certain tasks if I'm using, uh, you know, Django or, or you know, some kind of, you know, react.js or something. With data, that's rarely the case. Like there's all kinds of variables, right? I need to model the data eventually, you know, I need to ETL the data. Data acquisition's always, you know, painful and we never know how long that kind of stuff takes. But just simple things like data science, uh, you know, we'll have customers come in and, and they say, hey, we want to do, uh, you know, can you help us uh, do some kind of analytics or machine learning or whatever it is um, against uh, some business problem we have and we already have the data. So assuming they actually ha already have the data, we'll find during these design thinking sessions and just quick tangent, I, I normally look at these business problems they're trying to solve, you know, with a predictive algorithm like, oh my God, this is this, this idea will never work. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. We've all been there, right? Like this, this idea is beyond half baked. And you end up realizing, so I don't, I never say anything. We talk through the problem. And then again, within maybe an hour or two, we realize either there's a ton of better problems we can be solving, more profitable, uh, whatever the situation is, or, you know, maybe we didn't understand the problem as well as we thought we did. Uh, and we can change that just a little bit. So I think I heard uh, one of you mention on the last podcast that like data projects are not linear. And that's exactly right. Uh, you, you're never sure where they're going to take you. So, um, 
you know, the problem with Scrum, if you think about it, you know, <laughs> the Agile Manifesto says we're supposed to react to change and all that kind of stuff. But how many Scrum, how many practitioners of Scrum actually do that? I, I find it's very few. So what I mean is, and again, I've worked for large organizations that do Scrum. And the first thing they'll say when somebody says, you know, whether it's a business person or an IT person, they says, this direction we're going is not right. You know, this is not what we're doing is not right. We need to change. They'll say something to effect of, well, sprint planning's coming up in two weeks. We'll talk about it then. Scope is fixed. Or we need to change direction. You know, there's another priority. Scope is fixed. We can't change that, right? Uh, so we're not responding to change in the way we should be. So design thinking will help you and that the notions of rapid prototyping thing and things of that nature will help help you basically get out of that mindset where we say you know we're solely here uh to worry about burn down charts and 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 accumulating points well you know i i can see why alex castro's uh show appealed to you i i get that and if you'll recall when we had you on last time and you were talking about uh the dangers of scrum and agile i was pushing back mm -hmm. and and the reason was i've i've had some I've had wild success going from water taking organizations from waterfall in, into Scrum, and I'm not sure why why it worked that way. I just it, it made me a believer in Scrum. But as I was listening to Alex talk, and I've almost finished his audio book now. It's only a couple of hours long, but I'm about ten minutes from uh, my daughter's school where I pick her up, uh, drop her off in the mornings, and I listen mostly coming back. We talk while we're going. And he makes some of those same points. And when you think about Scrum or Agile in the context of what is it there to solve? What's the problem Scrum or Agile may solve for you? You'll get it right some of the time or maybe even most of the time. But a lot of people fall into that rut that we just dug out of with waterfall. And I'll say maybe not a lot of people. I'm just going to make it personal. I'm going to say for me, I thought Scrum is awesome because it recognizes all of these uncomfortable and unpopular things about software development, right? Data or software. And I've done both. And that's why I loved it, uh, Dave, just straight up. But some of the time when we would embark on a software development project, it just wouldn't end or it wouldn't go anywhere. And I was wondering, I was like, well, why didn't that work? And Alex lazy Alex Castro, we had two Alexes, Alex I. We we had two and and he laid it out with the REM score. He didn't tell you how to do a REM score. He's selling that. God bless him. <laughs> In two hours, though, he makes a really good business case for figuring out what you can execute before you start the burn down charts and the execution. And it took listen to that book, listen to Alex for me to get what you were saying, Dave. So I don't feel like I owe you an apology, but I just <laughs> wanted you to know that you've helped you helped me learn something. And I appreciate that. No, I appreciate that too. We're all we're all on a different spot on the journey, right? Um and that's the key thing to remember. Uh and and I I've listened to his audio book over the weekend. It's excellent and I agree, like yeah. I said, with most or you know, probably 95% of you know, of the things, again, the problem I have with Scrum is people that get dogmatic about it. They learn Scrum yes. and it becomes religion, right? Yes. And it shouldn't be religion. So uh, I've I've been in places where they'll send you uh, an invite. We're going to do the prep for the pre-planned meeting. 
It's like, stop <laughs> and think about that for a second. That notes <laughs> prep for the pre-plan meeting means three planning meetings. I, I'm, I'm sorry, where are we getting work done? And, you know, again, to say a sprint has defined start and end, you know, we do two week sprints or one week, week sprints. I don't think that makes sense. You do a sprint as long as it takes to solve the problem. Um, you know, that's, yeah. that's my opinion. And then really, you know, the way you show, so the whole point of, you know, something like a, a sprint retrospective, uh, or, you know, or, um, you know, a close down or something like that is I want to make sure the team accomplished what they were accomplishing. Well, you can do that at any time, right? I can say, I'm going to sketch. So with design thinking, you're essentially building rapid prototypes and you say, I, I like to just have it every week and say, okay, we're going to show you the prototype at the end of the week, and then let's talk through it. And a lot of times you'll find the prototype hasn't changed from week to week, and that's mm. that's discouraging. And when an executive or project sponsor sees that for multiple weeks, you got to start asking the question, you know, are you guys stuck and are you spinning your wheels? And, you know, do we need to take this a different direction? And the data scientists or the data, the, you know, the data professionals need to be honest with that as well. You know, is yeah. this something, you know, we don't think we can provide value here. And that's fine. And one of your previous guests, I forget which one it was, said, uh, so we call that fail fast, right? Um, <laughs> you know, they said, well, we don't like fail fast because of the psychological connotations you failed. I don't view it that way at all. So whenever we approach these things, we say, um, you know, the project was successful. The concept we were trying to prove failed. Right. Mm. So we went through this and the concept failed or our implementation at the time, or maybe we just don't know enough or we don't have the right data that failed. But this there was learning here. Uh, and I think when you approach it that way, psychologically, people are much more uh, interested in not falling for like sunk cost fallacy. Right. They're saying, OK, yeah, we see that. Let's just kill this thing right here and, and move to something else. There's something to be said for that. I mean, and 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 that's that's my problem with a lot of things is that. They, they become so dogmatic, they've lost sight of things. I was on this one project where uh, due to circumstances beyond anyone's control, the whole nature of the project had to be changed. And we, we were two days into a sprint. And um, we were, you know, somebody said, well, we'll just have to cancel the sprint and start over. And then somebody said, can we do that? And then the, the guy who was paying the check for all those consultants was like, I'm paying the bill. We can do whatever we we're going to do, whatever I say we're going to do. And he used more colorful language, but I'll, I'll let that to your <laughs> imagination. But, but it was interesting was there was another guy on my team who I never thought is dogmatic, but he went and looked up a verse in chapter where that basically was blessed that you can cancel a sprint, which is pretty funny. Like the guy paying the check, <laughs> just said, you know, do it, you know, like it, it was, it was an interesting kind of thing. Like, you know, even people who you don't think are necessarily dogmatic, they, they may want to soothe their own kind of thinking by looking at the, the dogma. Yeah. And that's why I think Kanban's a little bit better because Kanban doesn't have the notion of a sprint start and stop or just sprints in general. Right. It's, we keep working until we need to do planning because we ran out of work to do. Um, you know, so it's a little bit better in that regard. Although again, there's, there's always an opportunity for dogma to, to, you know, factor into the equation. So what is the difference? What is the, you mentioned Kanban. Is Kanban the one that was developed at Toyota? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yep. So, so just if you had to give an elevator pitch for what's Kanban and what makes it better, what would it be? So again, I don't think Scrum responds to scope change, uh, as well as it, 
at, as it does. And everybody will say, hey, a sprint scope is frozen. Okay, well, right there. When they say make that statement, that proves my point. Um, so <laughs> there's it's that. It's almost pixelated, right? Like it is yeah. flexible, but it's exactly. pixelated flexible, right? You know, you look and at Minecraft, you right? You can't yep. make anything smaller than one of those blocks. That's Can you make right. anything? Yeah, but it's not the same. That's Sorry, right. I cut you off. No, no, that's okay. And then Scrum has that whole notion of an over-reliance, in my opinion, on points. Uh, so Kanban doesn't really have that notion of points. It's just work is a card on the wall, and it's got to get through the, you know, through the uh, through the column, so to speak. Um, and then the other one is, you know, again with Scrum, you'll notice if you look at a burn down chart and you and you do this over and over with a given team, you'll find that their productivity is really bad at the beginning of the sprint and really bad at the end. And it's pretty obvious why, right? We've just changed focus, so we've lost all velocity at the beginning. And at the end, everybody's just trying to, you know, um, get stuff done if it hasn't been done. Dysfunctional teams, it'll be the exact opposite. They'll all of a sudden they get productive at the end, and it's it's usually just due to their gaming the system. Sorry, I'm just obvious. I'm just uh, very honest about that. Um, I've worked on teams where we've done that. We just got we have to show value, so we game the system. Um, so there's that aspect. Kanban though is more like the 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 columns on the Kanban board are the statuses, and the you know the work moves from left to right. So. Uh, it has a huge focus on limiting whip. So uh, we never have, we should never have, you know, potentially a developer working on two things at the same time because it's not going to work. Uh, so we want people to say, you know, if I'm, if I'm blocked on two different things, then they go in a different column and I work on something else because I'm, I'm not getting any velocity and it's all about bottleneck identification. So if, if Kanban's done correctly, I can look at that Kanban board and say, well, if I'm a manager, where do I need to add resources? resources or focus in order to get work through the system, um, which is why it's very popular with DevOps people who are mostly interested in getting things automated through there. Um, but anyway, that's the main difference, uh, if that makes sense. That makes sense. So how do you, I'm sorry, Andy, cut you off. One no, last no, question, I swear. Um, how do you estimate work in Kanban or you don't? It's there's a less reliance uh, or on estimation. Um, so, you know, it, you can with Kanban put points on cards. But again, if there's no notion of sprints uh, and again, I think one of you mentioned this before. Most people do scrum, but uh, and it's the same thing. Most people that do Kanban do Kanban, but uh, so putting all that in there. But again, you know, it's usually you don't. Hello, Bailey here. It was at this point that Dave's internet connection dropped out, but while I have your attention I would like to make you aware of two things. First, you may have heard Frank and Andy bang on incessantly about this project ring gate of theirs. Well, now it is live and it is fantastic. It's called the Data Channel and is available on all the app stores, Apple, Google Play, Fire TV, and Roku. Data Channel aims to make learning and advancing your data skills fun and informative. Think of it as Disney Plus but for data. We are still working on the CGI to create Baby Andy for the Data Lorian series. Check out the show notes to get discount codes for our listeners. Secondly, I'd like you to know about Frank and Andy's new podcast about quantum computing. It's called Impact Quantum and it helps data and software engineers prepare for the coming quantum computing revolution by bringing in the best minds in the field and having them explain the what's and the why's of this new technology. Sure, Frank and Andy are the hosts there, too, 
but I am also part of the show. So, if you can't get enough of me, rest assured that I do the voiceovers there as well. Now back to Dave Wenzel. The, um, one of the things that, um, when I learned Combine, mm-hmm. um, I actually learned it in manufacturing. And, and one of the aspects of it, and I don't, I was going to ask him uh, about this because I don't know if I've ever done Combine in software, is this, this idea of the swarm. So when the, when the line stops in manufacturing, you know, and especially when you're building cars, there's an assembly line. When right. the line stops, there's some identified, you know, something is identified as that stopped it. And by the way, anyone in, on that line can hit the stop button. And that when they when you do that, there was a physical beacon that would begin, you know, swirling and everyone on the line. Of course, they had nothing else to do. They would then come and try and solve that problem. And I wanted to ask what the corollary was there. And I think he was close to it. When he was talking about the, you know, the developer having things that were basically, um, um, you know, deadlocked, two tasks that were just he he couldn't do, you know, that he or she couldn't do anymore on either of those tasks, and maybe that's what gets them put into another column. And I don't know. I want to ask that question. That that's where where I was going with that. Um, and I also want to ask too about. The you know how does this design thinking uh, I you know deal with those situations because they're not uncommon. No matter what you're right. doing, you know hitting deadlocks is not an uncommon thing. So how does design thinking fix that? I I think I have a sense of the answer, but I want to hear his response. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, um, I really liked his sessions. Here we go. He's back. Yeah, there's Dave. There we go. 31 minutes. Hey, Welcome how's it going? I I lost internet. I, oh, no. I you got to love this COVID stuff, right? It's always it's Murphy's right. enough said. That happens. I, I you with you you in uh, the MTC or are you like at home? No, I'm at home. Oh, okay. We're All not right. allowed to be in the MTC, so. Oh, wow. Um so we had a good flow going, so I don't remember exactly <laughs> where we were, but I know Andy had a question okay. uh, that he wanted to ask because he, th- he, he thinks you were like you were about to answer the question, so he was holding off. So go ahead, Andy. Yeah, so I've done Kanban in manufacturing. In fact, I was exposed to a lot of the methodologies that we use in software today when I worked in manufacturing in the early 90s. Um, and my understanding of Kanban is it came out of the assembly line. And one of the features was if somebody found a problem, they would hit the button and it would stop the entire line. A beacon would start spinning at the top of their station. People would swarm basically too, and everybody would bring their knowledge, their experience, and they would try and solve that problem so that Toyota could start making money again. So what's the corollary of that in in Kanban and software? Or is there one? Um, so there kind of is one. Um, so there is a stop the line mentality uh, with Kanban um, as far as the operation side go, but you, you really rarely have that with development, right? If you stop and think right. about it. Um, where it, it becomes, um, you know, a little more obvious is, uh, you'll find that 
what happens again in scrum is at the at the planning meeting everybody's assigned so many points and then we assign points to the cards and then everybody gets assigned cards based on you know their capacity so there's a capacity planning exercise again kanban doesn't do that stuff because it doesn't it doesn't care about this nebulous uh term called points but when you really understand kanban you kind of come to the realization that um one of the major problem manufacturers have like toyota and so forth is uh utilization so in it if you're a consultant i know you guys have done consulting in the past you know how it is uh you know if, if you're working for a consulting company all they care about is your utilization metric but you'll find in corporate america when you're doing kanban actually having a, a little bit of slack time you'll get better throughput through the entire system and that's a core tenant of, of kanban so you don't want people necessarily being at full capacity because nothing gets through um so that's kind of more um i think the parallel to manufacturing but the funny thing you mentioned with manufacturing is i i always tell this to the customers i have you'll find that the the greatest ideas that ever came through it came through ot so ot is operational technology which is manufacturing uh so it's funny because when i came up through this industry you guys probably as well we were all called mis uh, mm -hmm. you know or, or is and then it was the switch to it as we tried to be more manufacturing uh so there's some negatives to that as well you know it takes the art out of what we do sometimes but uh yeah for sure so a question to kind of go along with that then is then how then does the the design thinking how oh. does that address these similar you know these same situations got it so um with design thinking when we get to the last step and maybe we should go through all the different steps when we get to the last step we get to the rapid prototyping and when i do this with customers the rapid prototyping is is kind of the most interesting thing so i want to make sure when we're doing rapid prototyping uh that we're we're basically starting with something that we can tell a story around so i i don't necessarily need to document wireframes just on a piece of paper the back of the napkin if i can show what the user is going to see and usually that's uh, some form of a ui or a ux then i can build from there right and then it's just a matter of i want to go through um the next you know x number of iterations until i launch this project by simply building out that rapid prototype right so i want to say okay the first one's on the back of the napkin the next one's in visio the one after that i actually have something in react.js and then from a for a data person which you know uh is probably what we're more interested in on this is you know i want to start with let's talk through the use cases that involve data then let's take a break and let's go out and get the data then let's look at the data right and let's you know whatever problem we're trying to solve you know let's dig into it and we're going to see corner cases quickly in the data you know data that's of low quality you know not mastered things like that and then you know let's make sure that we have all of those things uh you know covered um and again as we go through that and we keep building out that rapid prototype you know we're going to change direction many times uh because we learn things as we go along and a lot of people listening to that think well that's what we do with scrum today i doubt it and here's what i mean a lot of times you'll get the requirements from the business person and you may sit in the same scrum team room as as your business person but they're off doing other things when we're off building these rapid prototypes you know 
we don't want a business person watching us building SSIS packages. That's boring. Uh, but when it comes down to, hey, we're actually going to look at data and solve this problem uh, and do, yeah. you know, exploratory data analytics, we're sitting next to each other constantly, right? right? And, you know, the business person is saying, well, that's interesting. I wasn't expecting to see that out of the data. And then where does that take us next? Well, let's look at, well, what happens if we look at the data this way and that way? And it becomes much more hands-on so we can build uh, those rapid prototypes. And by the way, that's why Jupyter Notebooks were invented. You can build entire applications within a Jupyter Notebook. Uh, so it it really, um, you know, it really is an, an enabler of that. The last thing I'll just say real quick uh, with, with design thinking through all this, a lot of people say, uh, or they'll use the terms MVPs. We're going to do MVPs and it's MVP zero and MVP one. I don't like that term because people get this notion of what's the viableness of the product. And if I'm doing a rapid mm -hmm. prototype where a lot of it is just on the back of a napkin, none of that's viable, right? So it's better to mm -hmm. say we're building, I think, rapid prototypes where we're getting people to feel, you know, what this is going to look like, what it's going to do under the covers, and then have people, again, use a little empathy and say, okay, well, I see what you're going at, but that's not going to meet my requirements or that seems cumbersome to use or or whatever the metric is. Uh, so I said a lot there. No, well, it's great. I, yeah, and um, the best product I think Microsoft has made in the past um, 20 years is probably going to be Expression Blends Sketchflow product. Because that that was great, because you would just kind of prototype a UI and a, or a UX, and then you would be able to present that to the customer and walk through it. And that saved one project in particular, you know, there were different people at the table while we were projecting and they're like, well, I assumed it would work this way. And I was like, well, and then somebody else said, I assumed it would work that way. And that's something that probably would not have been caught in the requirements unless those were really well-written requirements, which on a previous show, we kind of lamented how rare that is. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, some of the tools that I've seen um, recently and I, they've been around for a while, but I just got into some projects where they were being used and I was allowed to sit in some of these meetings. I didn't believe me, I didn't contribute anything. I'm not a UI person, Frank can back me up on this. But I saw these wireframe modeling tools. I, and I'm sure they've been around for way longer than I, I was even aware that they were. Um, but it was very similar to what you just described, Frank. With um, with the blend, uh, you know, functionality and stuff there, and I found it extremely helpful as the data person. Oh no, did we lose data? We lost, no, we lost them. Just, okay. Oh, okay. So, just as a, you know, just as the data person, it made a lot more sense to me to see. Okay, this is what you're going to do with what I give you. Right. So let me give you an, another example. Is um, Data scientists, you know, we're told to come in and, you know, I need a, an algorithm that predicts something, right? So we go out and we do that algorithm. But the thing we miss is data scientists, not all of us, but many data scientists miss is how are we getting feedback, right? So data scientists doesn't care about the user interface, but maybe they should. Uh, so again, you know, if I'm just going to predict, you know, something, uh, 
how am I going to display that to the user? And how am I going to have them give me feedback that says, yeah, this was a good prediction or your prediction was way off. And then I right. need somewhere to capture that and say the good predictions, okay, that becomes training data for the future. The bad predictions, I need a human being to look at this, right? And and figure out like, what did I miss? Did I totally miss a feature in my algorithm? Um, yeah. You know, and, and this is, you need to kind of think, honestly, I think as a data scientist, you need to think about that kind of stuff upfront. Um, anyway. It's almost like a prediction reputation. Yes. You know, like or scoring that. it, you know, as a one to five stars, something, something like that. That is an interesting concept. Yep. And same thing with like Power BI. Like how many times I, I don't do Power BI or Tableau report development. It's just not in my wheelhouse. But I've seen this many times is somebody from the business will, you know, they'll write up a wireframe. This is what I want my Power BI dashboard to look like. And then, you know, the, the Power BI developer goes out and builds it and then they go and show it. And, you know, they puff out their chest. Look, I did all this kind of stuff. And the business person says, well, this doesn't help me. Like, what is this supposed to show me? Right. So then, you know, the business analyst says, well, look here. It says, you know, uh, you know, the the state, uh, you know, in the United States where, you know, sales are in, in increasing the most is in Pennsylvania and the business person or the executive says, well, yeah, it's because we're headquartered in Pennsylvania. That's where all our stores are. This has told me nothing, right? Whereas again, if you can sit down with design thinking and say, don't just show me what this is supposed to look like, but what am, what am I supposed to, what is this data supposed to tell you? Like, what is the story, right. right? And then make sure that we've designed around what that story is. Now, suddenly all these really busy Power BI dashboards that we've seen where you look at them and the cognitive overload it's just incredible. Now suddenly you can build, um, you know, a dashboard that actually people will use uh, and it'll be able to tell them, okay, here's the current state affairs. Here's what I think it'll be tomorrow with something predictive. And here's what you need to do to increase or improve that KPI. Right. Yeah. So it's the next best action. Now, you know, this becomes very interesting and you're not going to have this when one person writes a requirements document. Uh, it's very conversational in my opinion. Well, it's about storytelling, right? Yep. And if you are writing a story, you know, you always give it to an editor and kind of talk it through and talk through the finer plot points. I, I don't think this is too different from that. No, not at all. It's very interesting. Um, I, I got kind of the vision I, I had as you were talking there was like a stoplight, right? So at least for where are we right now? And, you know, of course, where do we want to be? We want to be just glowing neon green. Uh, right. We may be there now. How do we stay there? We may be at yellow where there's some risk, some things going sideways. How do we change those so that we get to that neon green? We may be in the red. You know, bad things are happening and the trend is not positive. You know, yep. what do we do to, e to even just make it back to yellow? <laughs> Yeah. And you've I think you've made that point before. Um, I, that's that's what people need to do, I think. Uh, I mean, obviously, it depends on what the use case is, but um, that's important. Right. So that's kind of the system one thinking. Right. I need to look at something. And with that, with zero cognitive load, am I on the right path or do I need to adjust? And then I need to start digging in and figuring out, like, where do I need to adjust or what do I need to do better or what should I continue doing or whatever? So Dave, I'm not used to guests who listen to the show. No, <laughs> not as much as you. Because if I, I now I got to come up with brand new analogies. Thanks, <laughs> I appreciate it. It's a good problem. Don't don't take it's, it bad. It's a challenge to grow, Andy. Not a problem. 
Well, mm -hmm. just real quick, um, what design thinking is the first time we we go around? And if anybody's interested, you know, out there that's listening, you know, we do these at the MTC for customers just so they can learn because we actually believe in this, or I do. Um, it, it starts out with this. I'll just describe it. The first design thinking session you have is basically four steps. And the first one, think of it as a divergent step. So what I do is I just want to know what are the ideas that we should be working on, right? And and again, you can get design thinking books and there's games you can play and you get lost in the games. Feel free to do all that stuff. I can also teach you my games, which are hilarious, uh, but be that as it may. <laughs> Uh, you have a, a, you know, basically just put, put everything on a you know, three by five card or a sticky or an MS whiteboard or whatever. Just get ideas out there and then have groups of people in these design thinking sessions and talk through like, what are these ideas? Are these what we should uh, be working on? And eventually, you know, we start to learn about these problems. Then we have a, a convergence step. We say, OK, we have all these ideas. And now which ones are the ones that we should be working on, right? So we can do, uh, you know, a little bit about, you know, what's most important to the organization, you know, cost benefit analysis, things like that. So we're coming to what are the couple or the handful of problems we should be doing. Now, ongoing design thinking, you don't need to do that because you probably know it already, right? So you can kind of skip that aspect of it. And then what we do, uh, so I call that roughly the strategy steps. So we we diverge and then we converge, if you want to think of it that way. Uh, and then we do the same convergence divergence when we get to the execution phases, which is really now I know the problems and I've talked through them. Uh, now we're going to actually execute. Uh, so then we come up with essentially um, the divergence step or what are the various ways we can solve this, right? So as data scientists, we like to do everything with predictive algorithms, but a lot of times that's not needed. Business people say, I, I don't need you to guess at this or come up with features. Here's the rules we use today, right? Now somehow go out and put that in your analytics. Uh, so they'll have that answer. Uh, sometimes that's, you know, an incredibly complicated rules engine and maybe it is better with machine learning. So now we have that as part of that divergence, right? So that's another approach. Sometimes we find that there actually isn't, you know, uh, an IT solution to any of this. Sometimes it's just robotic process automation uh, or, or data analytics problem, I guess is a better way to say it. Uh, so we have all these different ideas and then we, we converge on what are the best ideas. And again, I have some games and you can read about all the other games out there on how we can do like voting and figure out what's best uh, you know, or what's the best way to solve these problems. And then really it goes that that um, that convergence then uh, on the solution is really, we, we're just constantly iterating on the rapid prototype, right? So we build the rapid prototype, we get feedback. And again, when you think rapid prototype, don't think working code, think it might be right. back of the napkin or something drawn. A lot of times we do modeling clay. I know that sounds ridiculous, but when we do these in person, we do it that way. Um, you know, sometimes you can use sticks and marshmallows. There's all kinds of different ways, but we're trying to get something that people can put in their head. Uh, and then right. again, it's constant iterations to to actually kind of knock that down. So it's a top down approach. So we're not worried about cards on the walls and individual features. We just want every week when we present the rapid prototype for it to be a little more refined is the key thing. I'm, if you see me looking down, it's because I'm taking notes. Yeah, same here. Same here. <laughs> no, I like that. It's an iterative approach. It's a continuous improvement approach rather than uh, the regimented. Well, certainly waterfall is definitely regimented, but, you know, I guess you could think of Scrum. I know I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for this, but 
it's just like Minecraft, right? Like you, it's pixelated. Like yeah. <laughs> reality yeah, yeah. is not pixelated, at least in a, in a sense that we can we can perceive. And business um, people like this. Again, I don't know about you guys. I'm I'm interested in your feedback, but <laughs> um, the notion of points in Scrum is something business people hate, and I think we all know why we do points, right? <laughs> it's because we're trying to not make commitments. If we're going to just be honest, right? Uh, because we know if we tell a business person, yeah, this is going to take about 40 man hours to do, uh, they'll say, okay, so you're going to have it in five days. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not what that means. Uh, right? So it's meant to be more of an estimate, which is a probability, and you don't really commit to a probability, right? Um, but that's not what business people care about. They don't care that you you know, describe to them what a probability is. They just want to know, when can I expect to have this code? And mm -hmm. I think the rapid prototyping um, they're maybe they understand a little more. Wow, there's kind of a lot that goes into this, and perhaps yeah. asking for commitments to, um, you know, man hour estimates is is not a productive use of anyone's time, uh, essentially. Well, but you know, to oh, be but, fair, Dave, to be to be fair, that was part of the reason why the uh, Scrum standups existed, right? Where you had the chickens and the pigs. Yep. You were hoping that the stakeholders would be in the room. They would hear more about the details, walk away from that going, oh, the reason they can't give me a good estimate on this is they don't know. <laughs> yep. True. Very true. So it's a it's a fair it's a fair way to do it. And I think that's part of the reason why they the behind the animosity toward points. I, I totally get it. Who you know, you're paying a consultant. I don't know. Let's just throw a number out there, a couple hundred bucks an hour, paying a consultant to do that. And you're paying them $200 an hour to look you in the eye and go, I don't know. Yep. And or it they, depends. Or, yeah. <laughs> the honest consultants will tell you that, though. I mean, the others will. It's, and here's the here's the ugly truth behind that. The I, I won't say they're less honest. I'm not going to use that term. I'm not going to use the word I thought. I said less honest, even. But <laughs> the truth is, if you, if Dave, if you're the stakeholder, executive vice president, or or what have you, and Frank and I are two different competing consultants, and Frank comes to you and says, uh, tells you the truth. We don't know how long it's going to take, but we can give you updates. It may be, you know, we feel like it's in this range of 40 to 120 hours. And I come to you and say, I'm going to have it done for you in 40 hours. Knowing full well everything Frank knows and agreeing with him 100%. We get to the end of the week and I go, well, this happened and that happened. And most often I'll end up winning the rest of the work and Frank will have to go home and think about, I told the truth. You know, I gave you yeah. the, you know, the physical reality uh, from this. Now, that's not hard and fast. That's not the way it always goes. But I, I sat in a room years ago with a number of CIOs. And I made the comment that if you get an estimate on a range, the answer is usually going to fall at the, at the high end of that range. One of the CIOs, without missing a beat, looked at me and said, spoken like a true consultant. Yep. Yeah. And I was like, okay. <laughs> kind of, I didn't, I didn't want to not do work for that person. That wasn't the case at all. But I knew that if I did do work for that person, 
I'm going to be using some of the cycles that I should be using to solve that person's problem on dealing with this kind of communication. Yeah. And then I call that punching the developer in the brain. Right. It's like I, the analogy I used on my on a blog years ago was you're in the championship basketball game. Everybody's you know, your your players are out there doing really well. You're the coach. If somebody makes a mistake, you call everybody in and you punch them in the legs. Right. Do better. Nobody does that. Yeah. <laughs> the beatings start... will continue until morale improves. <laughs> exactly. But when you're dealing with software developers and people who do knowledge work, then right. when you start loading things onto them in the, you know, in, in the name of motivating them, it's a, they don't, you know, the, the college coach, the basketball coach can mess with the brain, right? Because the legs and the arms are doing the work. The brain's doing the work in this field. And if you do that to them, you are stealing cycles away from actually solving the problem. And then I went on to explain in that blog post. So when we get to the end of the project, everybody wants to pat the developers and the, the data people on the back and tell them what a great job they did. And they secretly, they'd never say this, they're secretly thinking, it's all because I motivated you. <laughs> it's like not true at all. We'd have been done last week. If you'd have just, if, I tell you what, if you come and supported us in the middle of that when we were slipping and, you know, and going through that bad experience and really making their lives difficult too, the leaders who have to face the customers and stuff, I totally get it. But it's like you're not making things better, you're making them worse. I didn't originate all of these thoughts. Uh, some of them, a lot of it came out of Fred Brooks' work. Yep. Uh, in Mythical Man Month, where he talks about things that don't make sense to the outside world. And you're not building uh, the Hoover Dam. You are doing knowledge work. When you add people to the job, it slows it down. Those are the kinds of uh, non-intuitive uh, aspects of software and data. So, yeah. Kicking, I, kicking the uh, box back under the soapbox, back under the desk here. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you hit the nail on the head. So as, as a consultant, uh, okay, so let's take a step back here for a second. So at sure. the MTC, when we have customers come in, I'll go through things, you know, hey, we want to do a data analytics project that does something, who knows, whatever. Right. And say, okay, we've tried that before and we've either even had consultants in and it, it hasn't been successful. And here's where I think design thinking works well for consultants too. Cool. Um, so if you're a consultant, you're going in with one of two mindsets. One is I'm going to create a fixed price, fixed fee, um, you know, fixed scope project with an SOW. And then I'm going to get through. How do you even do that? Just stop and think about that. How do you do that when, on a data science project? We don't even know, know what the problem is. And it's going to take some amount of time to learn the problem. So I always tell customers when they come in, if if you're even considering outsourcing a data science or, you know, what I would call a advanced data analytics project, and you're considering fixed fee or fixed scope, I, I, I just, I can't stress enough you're doing it wrong. Um, now, for consultants out there that are listening to that going, oh my God, you just blew up my business model. Let me give you design thinking as the alternative, right? So here's how I do it. I go out, you, you get a day in my consulting for free. This is back when I was a consultant. And I would go into a customer and, and they'd talk about their problem and I'd listen and I'd say, wow, you know, I, I really don't know how long this is going to take. I have some ideas, but I don't want to write a fixed scope project and then, you know, not be happy and you not be happy with the output because, right. I, you, know, you know how it is. We're all smart. We'll make the scope at the end of the project. Oh, no doubt. 
but you know, and we'll hit the letter of the law, so to speak, but you're not going to be happy. Um, and I don't want to do that. Uh, that's that's not something I want to do. So I always tell yeah. them maybe what we do is we do design thinking and some rapid prototyping until we can get to a point where we can actually scope out the project. Yeah. Uh, now, here's the thing from a consultant that means at any point during that process, I could have a customer say, oh, it doesn't look like there's a there there and we're going to cancel this. See you later. Right. That's that's worrisome from a, you know, forecasted revenue perspective and a utilization mm -hmm. perspective. The difference is what I tell customers is, hey, we're going to do this and every week we're going to have a rapid prototype and we're going to have a conversation and, you know, we're going to say, is this something, do you feel, I'm learning about your problem, you're learning, right, right. do you feel I'm adding value, do you want to continue down this path? Um, and also, I'm learning about you. Maybe I don't like the people I work with. And I've left jobs because of that, consulting jobs, lucrative ones, I'm sure we all have, right? <laughs> you don't like the guy you're reporting into. Um, but, you know, then we can both make this decision, yeah. right? And, and so what I always tell people is, I'm going to charge you more for this. You're getting something, you know, uh, but you're going to be able to fail fast where you're not going to be able to with the other guys. Um, uh, yeah. And that's, they appreciate that kind of stuff. It still is bad for forecasting revenue, but you know. Oh, definitely. But it's, you know what, that's, you described how I do business. I'm still a consultant yep. and I'll start off same way. We'll talk for free for a bunch of sessions. I'll do what I call a phase zero. Try and pick a deliverable if we can, something light by design. Because yep. there's a number of things wrapped up in there, right? I need access to the data inside of their domain. There's a hundred little things that have to be checked off. So we do two to eight weeks and we try to produce this deliverable. That's the goal. But in the meantime, I learn everything else I'm going to need if I stay for another two months or if I stay for two years. Everything that I need to know is like back in that kindergarten phase zero yeah. uh, period where I've made, I've built that rapport. We've established all that. And just like you said, we'll get a bucket of hours. We'll get years of hours. But if you look at it and go, it's not helping, we're yeah. done. You don't have to pay the rest of that. You just yeah. pay me for what I work. And it's it's so freeing. It, it, if you, again, just like what I did in my little diatribe about the cycles going on in the developer's mind, dude, that's nothing compared to the cycles going on in that business person's mind. Exactly. And yeah. and there's they if they get it wrong, everything fails. Yeah. If I get it wrong, they go get they go hire Dave. Yep. <laughs> and as a consulting manager, like I was the CTO for a consultancy, like telling people, you're telling your data scientists on your team, you're basically staff all because that's what I'm proposing. If you stop and think about it, you wow. have to let them know that you know, at any point they have the ability to, to have veto power and say, you know, I, I don't like this customer, you know, and, and you know, basically fire your customer. Yeah. And that yeah. puts people's minds at ease, which that's why data scientists and data people in general, I found experientially, uh, I'm interested in your thoughts. They don't like to do staff aug. They like to do fixed scope projects. But the problem is, again, I think you run into all these problems we just mentioned. So yeah. you can, I think you can have the both best of both worlds. You can. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, you know, it's it's so much like uh, service industry work. Uh, I, you know, I read books about um, uh, about restaurants and some of these famous chefs. Brent Ozar actually turned me on to that, one of our earlier guests. And he was absolutely right. If you've got that mindset, and Brent not only has that, he did hotel 
uh, you know, retail. He was dealing with upset customers all the time, and it really served him well. He's getting ready to retire at the end of next year, by the way. He's announced that he's doing a slow uh, roll down to that, and it's because he knows how to treat customers. But if you take care of your people, they will take care of your customers. Mm. Yeah. It's not always a customer is always right. Uh, the customer could be wrong sometimes. And it's not playing some mind game with your people by saying um, you can, you know, by, at least by telling them uh, we you can quit at any time if we like. We can manage this some other way. Uh, it's, if you do that and you mean it, that's one thing. But if you're doing that just to lower their stress and get more cycles focused on the job, it's not the best. It's not going to work out. You're going to run into a situation where you have to tell that customer, I'm sorry, you know, Dave is no longer available to work on your team. Yep. And right. maybe have that uncomfortable conversation. There's a word for that. We call it management. <laughs> and every now and then, every now and then you can do some leadership, which is even harder than management <laughs> right there in the middle of all of that. I see yeah. you laughing, Dave. Why are you laughing? At me? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's the truth. Yeah. Um, I think you've, you've, yeah, you're, you're right on. And the problem is a lot of times it, it's hard to find good people in this industry. So when a company finds them, you know, and, and even if they're a consultant, you know, the first thing they do is try and poach them, uh, which generally probably doesn't work in most cases. So then it's like, well, the customer realizes, well, I'll pay anything just to keep this person on board. Um, you know, money is sometimes not a, you know, a problem for a lot of organizations, but then again, you're the person sitting there at the desk every day and you hate your job because it's not what you want to do. Maybe right. you don't admire the company, so forth and so on. So yeah, you need to have that leadership that's going to be able to say, I understand, and I don't want to lose you. So, um, you know, I'm going to fix this problem basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, and it goes both ways, right? It's leadership within the consultancy. It's leadership within the enterprise that, is hiring consultancies. And it's, I don't know a way to solve this. I don't have yet a formula that I can go through that's nice and cool like your design thinking. But, uh, or even, like that to me is more like a meta framework, if you will, which a framework by itself is meta. Um, but I love, I love this. I, what I'd like to ask you, Dave, before I keep rambling, is, um, is there a place I can go and learn more about the design thinking as you practice it. Have you written the Dave Wenzel book on design thinking yet? Notice I, I said yet. I haven't. I'm, <laughs> I, I do have a couple of LinkedIn articles, um, but it's something that's on my list of things to do. And I, again, I don't mean that to sound narcissistic because no. again, a lot of times when people, uh, so oftentimes we have customers, they'll bring in third-party design thinking firms. So IDEO is one, there's a few others. Um, and, and they're great, I got to tell you, but a lot of times as a dispassionate third party watching these things, uh, and, and <laughs> I am <laughs> the reason that these sessions occur, right? You're trying to get user requirements into mine as the data professional's hands, right? right? I find that we focus so much time on the intricacies of how to play these games that they come up with that we've never actually solved the business requirement. So mine are very, my my games are, you know, I guess games are the wrong word, my uh activities that we do during these sessions sure. are very simplest simplistic it's a bunch of you know post-it notes we move them around we color code them we vote on them um and and that's it versus uh, again you'll read about uh 
uh, in design thinking, you know, they have rosebud thorn and sails and anchors. And it's like, oh, just based on the names alone of those, like you can see you're going to get lost in the minutia of the actual game. So it's much easier. Now, having said that, I play all kinds of games. When I do these for the first time with customers, we have executives stand up and sing songs. Uh, <laughs> because, again, <laughs> what we're trying to do we, we don't do that for every design thinking session, but the first time I'm working with a customer, think about it when you, you know, the first time you're dealing with a customer as a consultant or, or you know, a new employee, it, yeah. you're trying to get business people and IT people in a room. The, you know, both are standoffish. Both are not happy with the other one. Uh, both think they know more than the other one and they're not going to open up. So you need to play games and, you know, Again, that's the empathetic nature of it, right? Make sure that you yeah. can get everybody open and communicating and, you know, there's no such thing as a bad idea and, and all those kind of platitudes because we want honesty. Uh, and then again, a lot of times, once they start opening up the people and they're having that communication, you just sit back and you watch, right? And you take notes and you figure out what's going on versus again, sometimes the design thinking practitioners, when you get these books, they'll say, okay, well, you know, that 15 minute is over. So let's go on to the next thing. It's like, oh, you, you just ruined an awesome conversation. Right. Yeah, you're you're back in that scrum problem you described <laughs> exactly. where you're locking everybody in. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I love that. I, I love the freeness of it. If, if nothing else, I just like that. And I, I found so many of those conversations where you have flow. Yeah. That mm -hmm. that it's a beautiful thing. I'm going to shift a little bit and I'm going to pick on Frank for just a minute, but not really pick <laughs> on you, Frank. I think both of you, you said something in, in this that triggered the thought that you're seen often as the lowly data guy at the MTC, right? You're just the data guy. Let's put it that way, not lowly. And have I ever said that? Not, I'm not talking about you yet, Frank. Dave is just seen as, as the data right. guy there. And, but here you are with all of this philosophical problem-solving skills that you're ready to apply to it. And I see Frank doing this in, um, in, in his – both of you are multi-skilled is kind of where I'm going with this. Frank is uh, – you know, he, he's there talking about data science and machine learning and solving problems and helping the customer. But at the same time, Frank is actually doing a really good job of sales. And he's not doing it in a malicious way. He's not trying to hurt the customer. He's never trying to get the customer to spend money they shouldn't on something they shouldn't or, you know, or more than they should or any of that. Which sometimes He's, got me in trouble, but yeah. <laughs> Same I here. Can, yeah. But, you know, having those skills, right, having that collection of skills, it really reminds me of something Scott Adams said in uh, How to Fail at Everything and Win Big is um or yeah he, he just talked about you don't have to be pegging the the scale on one to ten you don't have to be a nine or ten at all of these things you have to be like a six or maybe five six seven at a few things and then you combine those skills and now you are you're an 11 all of a sudden you know you're uh, you're there spinal tap right uh, yeah at <laughs> <laughs> all of, you know in all of these situations it just it, I just find it fascinating to see that it takes that kind of combination of skills to really help companies get out of sometimes a death spiral, you know, that they're in. I, you know, 
Uh, there's so many places I could go with that, but I, I mean, know that's you what I really enjoyed about the MTC is that you know the design thinking guy uh, at my old MTC was the Power Apps guy, right? Like, <laughs> you know, um, so when I first kind of heard about it, I thought of it more in Power Apps terms, but then you know, and then I attended one of your sessions, Dave, and I was like, oh, it's not tied to a particular discipline. Like, so, so you know, it was it was an interesting kind of you know, and, and I had done enough sales training and, you know, that kind of like, you know, I was very fortunate to push some deals over the, over the line. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, it, you know, it, it takes, uh, takes a variety of skills to be really, you know, I think that's the, the real strength of the MTC is you get people who are very like level four or 500 in one area. They're two or three hundred, sometimes even four hundred in another area that yeah. you know is not one of the columns that they they use, but kind of like the sales pitching or the presentation or, you know, uh, our previous in my old MTC, the security guy was also the Hololens guy, which, right, like wait, what? That doesn't make any sense. But you know, people are following their passions, which I think leads to a better result in the end. Anyway. So let me give you something anecdotal on that. So. Um, we have at the MTC uh, a series of engagement progressions that we do. It starts with come learn about Azure and data and modern analytics, blah, who cares, right? And then we start getting into, you know, do building rapid prototypes and things like that. Somewhere in there, we may or may not do design thinking. We'll just wrap it in with the rapid prototype. I can tell you this, when we have conversations with customers, and 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 they listen and they see that we do analytics or I do analytics different than maybe what they've heard in the past. And they see the design thinking thing in action, even if it's just for two hours. I, I'm I'm literally uh, I think the last time I looked, I'm at 86 percent. I can get the next engagement. Right. Which wow. is essentially the rapid prototype. I just point that out there, because if you're if you're working in corporate America or you're a consultant like tell your client something different or show them something different, you know, than what they see from everybody else. You want to talk about an easy way to win business, you know, yeah. just say, Hey, look, I'm going to, you know, everybody else is going to give you a, you know, a fixed scope SOW. I'm going to, I'm going to take a risk here, you know, and I'm going to say, you're not going to cancel me after two weeks. I'm going to charge you a little more, but you know, we're going to work through this in more of a rapid prototype fashion uh, until we get enough information where we can write you the SOW uh, because everybody wants a capital project with a fixed, you know, even corporate, you know, the, the executives want that. Um, sure. it, you're showing them something that they haven't really thought of. And then again, I always pitch it as, you know, take these techniques back and, and again, I've seen them work at large organizations that struggled with Scrum. And the organization I worked at where we had 700 developers, we didn't just do Scrum, had a couple people read books and get some Scrum Masters. We actually got, uh, we got Martin Fowler and ThoughtWorks in, which are, you know, they're the, they're the agile guys and they right. helped us do it. And, and we just, you know, we just, and again, a lot of times you talk to these guys and they say, well, if you fail at agile, it's because you weren't doing it right. I don't think so. I think there's more to it than that. Um, so maybe, you know, again, like to your comment, if if everybody does scrum, but or agile, but or Kanban, but maybe maybe add some of these in as uh, a method to, you know, as part of that. But uh, and then see if you can yeah. change, you know, do an experiment, you know, like a data scientist would do. Exactly. Yeah. Very fair. Great stuff, Dave. As always, uh, we we may have to have you be our third uh, returnee. A three-peat. A three-peat. I was saying it wrong. You're right, Frank. Good, good catch. Yeah. 
been a been a fantastic show just like the first one um love these conversations you always get me riled up in a good way not a bad way mm-hmm. very good way and really glad we talked last time because you got me thinking uh, about the gaps in scrum and i hadn't before so even more good stuff here you got to write a book just gonna yeah. say it got to write a yeah, book yeah i agree there. i agree because, I mean, this conversation alone, you know, gave me a lot of ideas. I, my notepad is full. Yeah, same here. So so I do have, like I said, a LinkedIn article. Anybody that wants to see this in action or you want to try it with your company, we do do these sessions for free. Okay. Uh, so just hit us up on LinkedIn. Again, they're usually a day and a half, but we can make them two hours if you want. It doesn't matter. Uh, and they are a ton of fun. They really are. I can so confirm. Do we- so I, I would ask you, you this from kind of a, a MTC process point of view. Would you consider the, so if you've never been part of the, uh, an MTC engagement, the, one of the things that they always put on there is discovery. Would you say that some of, there's always a bit of flavor of design thinking and discovery? Mm-hmm. Right. So again, design thinking is perfect for discovery, but again, and, and this is again, when you read the design thinking books, they'll just talk about the discovery. I really think this is, this should be sprint planning. This should be your sprints said mm. differently, right? I mean, wh- why do we sit here and write requirements documents when we can sit, not every day, but we can sit down and say, okay, Andy is the SQL guru. I'm the business person. Let's sit next to each other with a Jupyter notebook or just a .SQL file, and let's work through these problems together and think through it. Um, it just seems like a much better way than throwing the requirements document over the wall, which again, that sounds very waterfall, but I still see that with Scrum all the time. Yeah, that's true. I guess that the so old true. bad habits die hard. Yeah. Well, awesome. I know we are over time, our usual thing, but it was so good. I didn't want to interrupt the flow. Uh, <laughs> uh, any last words, Dave? No, this was great. I enjoy your podcast all the time. This awesome, is, uh, thank you. I think it's probably my favorite tech, technology podcast. Oh, well, thank great. you. Yeah, it's uh, great guests and just awesome conversations. Awesome. Thank you very much. I can't, I can't top that. Like, <laughs> I'm all flustered <laughs> yeah. and blushing. Um, so thanks for uh, listening. And uh, Andy, any anything you want to add? No, I'm like you. I can't top that. Awesome. <laughs> I like the nice British lady and the show. Thanks for listening to Data Driven. We know you're busy and we appreciate you listening to our podcast. But we have a favor to ask. Please rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe to us. You have subscribed to us, haven't you? Having high ratings and reviews helps us improve the quality of our show and rank us more favorably with the search algorithms. That means more people listen to us, spreading the joy. And, can't the world use a little more joy these days? Now, go do your part to make the world just a little better and be sure to rate and review the show.